Well, good evening. It's good to see you tonight. Turn, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is where we're going to be tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful for this time that we have together in this midweek service. And Lord, I'm thankful for your word, God, that can speak to us tonight as much as it can any other time. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord to give consideration to your word, that we would allow it to sink deep into our hearts. God, that this would be something that we could be helped by, if not tonight in the days to come. And Lord, that uh, again, we would just remember this for, for quite some time. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many of you all would remember this, but back in November, we finished a lengthy study of 1 Corinthians. It was a 73 uh, message study that we did, and I said then that we were going to take a break from the study of 1 Corinthians and not move directly into 2 Corinthians, and so that's what we did for about three and a half months. And so tonight, as you can probably tell, we are getting into 2 Corinthians, and uh, it's a book that as I was doing some reading on and preparing for this message, one of the commentators that I like to read, that I go to on a regular basis, he said, 2 Corinthians is one of the richest books in all of the New Testament, and it is also probably one of the least uh, understood books because so few people give it the time and the attention that the book truly deserves. And as I was thinking about that thought, I thought of myself, and I would have to admit that there are probably portions of Second Corinthians that I am aware of. There are elements of it that I would be mindful of, but if somebody were to ask me what my level of understanding is in relation to Paul's second letter that we have preserved for us, I would probably just look at you and say, uh, I don't have much information to offer you. And I don't know if you'd be any different than myself, but because of my lack of real awareness and understanding of the book and the letter, I'm looking forward to the study, and I hope that you are as well. And I want you to just kind of understand this by way of introduction to the book, and then we will get into tonight's message. But it is said that of this book, best we can tell is that whenever Paul wrote his first letter that we have preserved to the believers in Corinth, the believers responded in an appropriate fashion. They tried to address the sin. They tried to address many of the issues that they were dealing with. And so that was a wonderful response to the Word of God. But we also know this, that no matter how well they responded, it was still a church made up of people, and it still had issues that needed to be addressed, right? Because there is no such thing as a perfect church because people are imperfect people. So that in mind, tonight we're just going to get into this, and we're going to just look at the first few verses. And again, I trust that this will be a help to us. I hope that it will. But tonight I'd like to begin with a simple thought. You know this, but as I've said so many times before, I cannot imagine you having come to church tonight really thinking about this. And so tonight I want to begin with this thought, that it is impossible for you and I to teach something to someone else that we do not know ourselves. You're aware of that simple truth, right? It is impossible for us to teach something to someone else if we do not know whatever it is that might need to be taught or might want to be learned by an individual. I'll illustrate it very quickly and then we'll move on. I cannot teach someone how to play the piano because I don't know how to play the piano. 
It is impossible for me to sit down with anyone else and say, this is how you play the piano because I don't know how to do it. I could not tell somebody, this is how you learn a foreign language because I don't know how to speak a foreign language. So I couldn't look to them and I couldn't explain to them, hey, listen, this is what you do and this word goes here and whatever the explanations may be needed, I could not give those explanations because I don't know it myself. So here's what we understand, that the only thing that we can teach someone else is what we have learned ourselves. The only thing that we can teach someone is what we have learned ourselves. This past year, I had the chance to learn how to do some tile work. So if somebody said to me, hey, Kyle, can you teach me what you know? I could teach them what I know because I learned a little bit about it in the process that I was a part of. If somebody came to me and said, all right, Brother Kyle, I'd like to know how to put together a sermon and preach a sermon. Can you tell me what you know? Whatever information I have available to me, I could share that with that person. But the only reason that I would be able to teach them anything is because over the years I have, by the grace of God, learned a little bit. So understand this principle. You and I cannot teach what we do not know. The only thing that we can teach to someone else is what we do know. And sometimes, if we're honest, we're able to teach some things to people that we wish we weren't able to teach them. See, I'm not real excited about the fact that I can teach someone how to run a sewer snake. That's not really anything I get excited about. Like, hey, you want to learn how to run a sewer snake? I'm your man. I know how to do that. In fact, I own one. I'm not really excited about that, but I am able to teach that. You know why? I've had plenty of experience with clogged sewer lines. So because I have that experience and because I have learned some things, it's not anything that I'm really excited about, but if somebody had a clogged sewer line and said, hey, could I borrow your snake? I could say to them, yes, you can borrow the snake, and here's what you want to be careful of. Here's what you want to watch out for, and here's what you're hoping to do. And, and I could transmit my knowledge to them because I have a little bit of understanding in that subject matter. If somebody said to me, hey, how do you add insulation to your attic? Unfortunately, I know how to do that now. It's not anything that I was wanting to learn, but it was necessary for me to do it based on the cost of the professionals. So if we can keep all this straight, there really is a point to this. I can't teach anything that I don't know. The only thing I can teach is what I do know. And sometimes the things that I'm able to teach, I wish I wasn't able to teach, but I am because I've been forced to experience those things at some point in my life. So that in mind, I want us to look tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 1. As we do, I think most of us are familiar with how Paul opens up many of his letters. So this introduction to this letter is not any different than many of his letters. He begins by saying this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul identifies himself as the writer of this letter 
and he identifies his apostolic authority that was given to him by God so that he had the right to address the believers in Corinth in relation to the subject matter he would be addressing. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul says that the fact that I am an apostle, the fact that I am this ambassador and this mouthpiece of God, this is by the will of God. This was not something that Paul was looking for. This is not something that Paul was seeking of his own accord. This was something that God placed on his life. And as he identifies himself and calls himself the apostle of God or the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he lets them know that Timothy was accompanying him during the time of this writing. And then in verse number one, he identifies his audience, fairly obvious. He says that it is unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, and all the saints which are in all Achaia. So the believers in Corinth, they are the intended recipient of this letter. They are the audience to whom this was written specifically, those in Corinth and then the saints which were in Achaia. And then in verse number 2, again, a familiar introduction for the Apostle Paul, words that could deserve some attention if we wanted to get bogged down in verse number 2 already. But he says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he extends unto them the peace of God and the grace of God from their Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse number 3, here's where I want the message to pick up tonight, all right? In verse number 3, he makes this statement, Blessed be God. Blessed be God. Now, I don't know how many of you are like myself. Maybe you could say that over the course of your life, you've gone through this letter and your Bible reading on many occasions. And if you're like me, then something you'd have to say is this, is that simple little statement of blessed be God, that is something that you have read many, many times and given little or no consideration to. Because it's easy to overlook this little statement, right? Blessed be God. All right. What does this statement mean and what is the significance of this statement? Well, here is what blessed be God means. It means this, that God is worthy to be blessed or God is worthy to be praised. Paul is declaring to the believers in Corinth and the saints of Achaia that God is worthy to be blessed. He is worthy to be praised. It also means this, that he is worthy to be adored. He is worthy to be admired. He is worthy to be held. He, he is one that is deservant of any praise or, or recognition that the saints of God might give him. And I would trust that you and I tonight would say amen, that God is worthy to be praised. Now tonight, if you and I wanted to spend some time in this subject matter saying what is it about God that is worthy of our praise, I think you understand that we could be here for a long, long time and many different reasons could come up as to why we believe that God is worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised for this reason. He is worthy to be praised for another reason. Whatever it may be, God has many reasons for which he is worthy of the praise and the honor and the adoration that he deserves or that he receives. But Paul is specific on why God deserves to be blessed or deserves to be praised. He said, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. 
Paul says that God is worthy to be blessed and he is worthy to be praised among other reasons for these two reasons, that he is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. What does that mean? Well, the father of mercies means this, that he is a father of compassion and he is a father of pity. What Paul is declaring in these opening verses to the believers of Corinth and the saints of Achaia, he is declaring that God who is their father and God who is our father, he is a God of mercy, he is a God of compassion, and he is a God of pity. He is a God of kindness toward his children. And then he says, not only is he the father of mercies, but he is also the God of of all comfort. What does it mean to be the God of all comfort? It means this, to be a God of encouragement, a God of consolation, or a God of solace. He is a God of encouragement, He is a God of consolation, and He is a God of solace. So here's what the Apostle Paul declares in verse number 3 to these believers that he is writing to. He says, God is worthy to be praised. Paul, why is God worthy to be praised? Well, among so many reasons, for these reasons he is worthy to be praised, because he is the father of mercy, of of compassion and of pity, and he is the father of encouragement and the father of consolation and the God of solace. This is who God is, and because of that he is worthy of praise. Tonight I want to ask you something. Do we know that to be true? That He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Do you and I know that to be so? Could you and I tonight say this, that truly He is the Father of compassion and He has been the Father of pity and kindness in my life? Could you say that about yourself? Well, the answer is yes, if you're honest. And and could you and I say tonight, listen, He is the God of comfort. He has been the encourager. He has been the consoler. He has been the one who has given the solace. He has been the one who has given the strength. Could you and I say that of ourselves tonight? Again, the answer is yes. We know that to be true. So tonight I want us to Consider something that, again, is relatively simple, but it may be something that could just pass right by us if we're not careful. So I want to ask you this question. How do we know? How do we know that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort? How do we know that? here's how we know it. Because that is who he has been in the midst of our hard times. 
That is who he has been in the midst of our difficulties. We could use the word from verse number 4 and and call it this, in the midst of our tribulations, in the midst of our afflictions, in the midst of our difficulties, here is what we have found God to be, the Father of mercy, the Father of compassion, that Father of pity, and we have found Him to be that God of all comfort, of encouragement and consolation and solace and strength. It is because of the tribulations and the trials and the difficulties of life that we have come to know God as the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Following this? Have you ever had that time in your life where the finances were a little thin? And you looked at your situation and you said, Honey, I don't know what's going to happen. Baby, I don't know what's going to take place. i got to be honest and tell you, I'm a little stressed right now. Have you ever been there in your financial situation? Maybe you went to bed a little bit discouraged. Maybe you went to bed a little bit disappointed. Maybe you went to bed a whole lot frustrated because you thought things were going to be a little bit better than what they were. So as you went to bed discouraged, you you just laid there and you kind of cried out to God. In the midst of that crying out to God, what did God prove himself to be? That God of comfort, that God of encouragement, that God of consolation, that God of compassion, that God of pity, that God of solace. Isn't it amazing when you and I were stressed about that, that's when God stepped in and said, let me remind you of who I am in your life. You ever been in that situation where your dreams were shattered? You had everything mapped out. You had everything planned the way you thought it was going to go. You just knew that this was going to happen and this was going to happen. Then this would take place and that would happen. And something came along and it totally disrupted your plans. And as a result, it frustrated you. It bothered you. It discouraged you. It led you into depression. It led you to think about all these different things that you knew a Christian ought not be thinking about. And so somehow over the course of time, it was like the Lord said, let me remind you of who I am in your life. You ever been there? So one moment you're discouraged, one moment you're weak, one moment you're thinking, I don't want to do this anymore, I'm sick of it, I'm tired of it, and all these other emotions that are coming forth in our thoughts and maybe from our mouths. The reason that we know God to be the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts is because we've had to go go through some things that we would rather not have ever learned. Are we hearing this? Maybe our marriage has hit a brick wall. Maybe our children are causing us problems that we never anticipated our children causing us. And as all this is happening and as all this is going on again, you find yourself struggling with all the emotions and the feelings and the, and, and the anger sometimes, maybe the resentment or the bitterness, whatever it may be. And it was then that God stepped in and said, let me remind you of who I am. When the diagnosis came in and it surprised us because we weren't expecting that. Isn't it amazing the number of times, if we think about it, that God has shown himself to be the God of mercy and the God of all comfort. But if we had not gone through that, 
we would not know that that is the kind of God that he is. If I had never hit the speed bumps of life, I would never know the mercy and compassion and the pity of God. If I had never known the hard times of life, I would never know his encouragement and his consolation and his strength in my life. Are, are, we, are we getting this? If it were not for the difficult times, I would not know who God is. And if it were not for the difficult times in your life, you would not know who God is. But because he has been that father of mercy and that God of all comfort to us, you know what we're able to say? He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be blessed. He is worthy of, uh, of us extolling Him and praising Him and, and glorifying Him. He is worthy of that because of what He has done for us in our lives. So here's what you and I know, is that that is who God is in the life of a believer. And if it had not been for those hard times, we would not know who He is. Now think about this. If we did not know who he is by way of the Father of mercies and God of comfort, if we did not know him in that aspect of our relation with, relationship with him, you understand this? That we could then never tell others of his nature and who he is and his character for their lives? Somebody says, well, where would such a thought come from? Well, notice in verse number 4 what it says. It says, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. That what? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So here's what Paul said to the believers in Corinth. He said, God is worthy to be praised. Paul, why is God worthy to be praised? Because he has been the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who has been the comfort to us in the midst of our tribulation. And he has done that in our lives, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble any kind of anguish, any kind of distress, any kind of a hard time. Here's what Paul is saying to the believers of Corinth. That because you have known suffering, because you have known tribulation, because you have known hard times, you have been able to know the comforting nature of God. And in part, you have gone through that so that you might be able to comfort others who they themselves are going through their own trouble and their own affliction and their own hard times. And if you hadn't had your problems, and if you hadn't had your difficulties that allowed you to know who God is, then you would never be able to say to someone else, 
I want you to know that God is faithful because he is a God of mercy and he is a God of all comfort. Think about this very simple truth. That you work beside people on a regular basis who are going through things. You may not know everything they're going through. You may not know everything they are dealing with. You may not know all the struggles that are present in their lives. But you are working beside people who are struggling. You have people in your family who are struggling, who are dealing with things. You may be aware of the struggles. You may not be fully aware of them. But I promise you, you've got people in your family who have got struggles in their lives. You have people that you live beside, that you live across the street from. And you know what they've got? They've got their own set of problems and they've got their own set of issues. Just throw something out here for you to be reminded of. You go to church with people who have problems. You, you go to church with people and they have their own set of issues. And, and some may feel more of a liberty to express them than others. But just because someone doesn't express their problems or express their issues doesn't mean they're not carrying them. And here's what Paul said to the believers of Corinth. Part of what you have gone through is so that you might know the comfort of God in your life. So that you, in turn, might be able to be a comfort to someone else in their life. They may need to hear from you what God is capable of doing in their lives. But if you haven't gone through it and you haven't experienced it, then you don't have the ability to teach it. Kind of changes the perspective a little bit, does it not? If you and I would just stop and think about this thought, that what I may be going through right now may be so that I may be a help to someone else in the future. It's a hard thing to grasp, isn't it? Because if you're anything like myself, Here's what we'd have to admit. There are just certain things we don't want to learn. Right? I mean, it's kind of like that sewer snake. I didn't need to learn that to be happy. It's kind of like getting in my attic in the midst of the summer and spraying in more insulation. I didn't necessarily need to go through that in order to be happy, and yet I have been able to help some people with that. Well, the same is true sometimes of the circumstances of our lives. I don't necessarily want to go through that, but, but you know, I mean, if, if that's what's required of me to be able to be a help to someone else, then I guess if I'm honest, it's a good thing because then I can be a help to someone else. See, here's my, my flesh speaking. 
As I was putting as I was putting this sermon together, I thought of my friend in Kansas. You know the Praters? So it was just a little over a month ago, almost two months ago now, that they got the news that their son had been killed in the accident. I just got to be honest and tell you, my flesh says I don't want to learn that kind of a lesson. But God has allowed them to go through that tribulation, to go through that affliction, to go through that hard time. I don't know all the reasons for that. But you know what's going to be true one day? That the comfort and the mercy that they experienced during those days is something they'll be able to help someone else with. I don't want to be diagnosed with some debilitating and demoralizing disease like some people have. But if it happens, you know why it's happening in part? So that I can be an encouragement to someone else about the faithfulness of God, but until I know the lesson, I can't teach the lesson to someone else. God is worthy to be praised. Why? Because of His mercy, because of His comfort, because of His faithfulness to comfort us in our tribulation and our afflictions. And He is also worthy to be praised because God is able to take what He allows to enter into our lives so that we might be a comfort to someone else going through something very similar in their lives. Now, that's hard to remember, isn't it? In the midst of our affliction, in the midst of our disappointments, in the midst of our shattered dreams, in the midst of the diagnosis, in the midst of the troubled marriage, in the midst of the kids who are a concern to us, in the midst of all those things, let's be honest, it is very easy to take every bit of that and make it very internal. To dwell upon it, to question the goodness of God in our lives. God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, why are you allowing this to take place? And let's not act like this doesn't happen. Many, many people look at what God has allowed in their lives, and rather than realizing what its intended use is, they become bitter, and they become angry, and they become full of resentment. Never realizing that what God allowed them to go through and the faithfulness of God that they learned was intended to be a help to someone else down the road. They lose sight of that and the bitterness and the resentment sets in and rather than being the blessing they could be, they are the, the believer who doesn't help anyone because it's become internal and all about them. I'm trying to be honest tonight, and I'm trying to convey to you, admittedly, there are some lessons I don't want to learn. Let's not get too excited about leaving right now, okay? Admittedly, there are some lessons I don't want to learn, and if you're honest, there are some lessons you don't want to learn. 
But if God allows us to do it, if God allows us to go through it, we need to remember He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy of the glory because we will see His faithfulness in that matter and we can then be a blessing to someone else experiencing something very similar to what we've gone through. And so tonight I'm just going to ask you, just going to ask you to be honest because it can be hard to be sometimes. We don't always like to be honest about who we are and where we're at and what we're struggling with and what we're dealing with. But I'd like to ask you tonight to ask yourself this question. Is there anything going on right now in your life that you'd have to be honest and say, I'd really rather not be here? I'd really, not, I'd really rather not be dealing with this. I wish that I wasn't dealing with this. I wish me and my spouse or me and my family weren't going through this. Is there anything that you're dealing with right now that you'd, you'd just have to be honest and say, I wish we weren't here right now? If so, I want to remind you in part as to why you are there so that you can be used to be a blessing to someone else in the future. That may not make the lesson that you've got to learn any easier, but if it can at least change our perspective a little bit, it can help us look past it to an extent and say, Lord, please help me to not get bitter, to not get angry, to not turn inward in this, and Lord, however I can use this to be a help to someone else, please let me use these moments to be a comfort to someone else. You may not need it tonight, but I promise at some point God's going to bring us to something that we don't want to learn, but he's going to say it's time for you to learn a lesson. And he wants us when we have known the faithfulness of God, to be able to convey that faithfulness to someone else and be a blessing to them in the midst of their tribulation, in the midst of their trouble. Does our attitude need some adjustment tonight? It's possible. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening, Lord, I don't know to what extent this message may be relevant for some people. For some, they may sit here tonight and say, no, this isn't for them, this, this isn't what they need tonight, it's, it's not anything that really applies. I don't know. But Lord, I know that this passage is so true for myself, and I need to be reminded that what you bring me to, you have brought me to in part to be a blessing to others. Lord, if I'm not careful, I get very internal in my dealing with the different issues that, that I'm allowed to face. And Lord, I know that all of our issues are different. I know that all of our struggles are different. And yet the intended purpose, to some extent, is the same. So God, I pray that you'd help us to be a comfort to those around us who are struggling with what you've already taught us in our lives. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.